Thank you for joining us on That's a Good Question, a podcast where we answer your questions from last Sunday's sermon at Peace Church. We hope that these answers will encourage you and help you see the depth and beauty of the gospel. Let's dive into this week's questions. Hey, everybody. Welcome to That's a Good Question. I'm John, and I'm here with Logan, who is our high school and young adult ministry leader here at Peace Church, and excited to get to talk about the great questions that you all asked. On this show, we answer questions related to the sermon preached at Peace Church, as well as all kinds of questions about the Christian faith. And right now at Peace, we are walking through the book of Job, which is a book that is powerful and popular and has had a huge impact on people across the generations as they think about suffering. And so Mm -hmm. lots of great questions about suffering and Job in particular. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Question number one, how is subjecting humans to that great devastation of pain and sorrow worth proving a point to Satan? Um, Yeah, I love that question because I think that – in 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 asking questions, there is a such thing as like a, a a good question and a bad question, or like a better question. I think a that is a good question, but I think a better question is w- what was God intending? Because I don't think that God intending God was intending to just prove a point to Satan. So I think it's a good question, but I think we can ask a better question and ask what was God's intentions altogether? Yeah. I don't think it was just to prove a point to Satan. I think it was to prove a point yeah. to us. Um, and glorify God in the midst of it. I, you even mentioned right before we started about how important the book of Job um, is. And I actually find that for a lot of younger people, um, when they hear about the book of Job, it leaves a very lasting impact. Mm. That there's a book in the Bible just that's about the suffering of someone and how they find purpose through it and the, the, how, the role of God in that. And I just find it to be something that leaves a very lasting impact in even the people that I minister with. That's really interesting because on Sunday, actually, when we got ready to preach it, I noticed there was a lot of anticipation in the room. I even had people yeah. walking into the room say to me that they brought their highlighters this week. They were they were pumped. Yeah. They, man, people were eager to hear about this book. Yep. That's interesting. So it's not what to is prove the, a point to Satan. Yeah, yeah. It's clearly, and as evidence just in our local church, it, it proves a point to us. It proves many things to us. It shows us the goodness of God and and even despite suffering. And I even just did, um, with our high school ministry, we did uh, a study on Philippians, which is very similar in the sense that we're dealing with intense suffering. And yet Paul says so much about joy. He says more about joy in the book of Philippians than mm. anywhere else in any of his epistles. And yet he talks more about suffering in the context mm. of the book of Philippians, deals more with suffering than most of his other books and letters. Yet it's called the epistle of joy. Huh. And I think we see that in Job too. Of We see it's just a blessing to um, God's church despite and actually through the pain, through the suffering, which we see in Jesus. The joy he offers, the the hope he offers isn't by avoiding the cross, but it's by him going through the cross yeah. on our behalf. Yeah. That's a great point, man. That's that's excellent. Yeah. If it was simply an exercise to prove a point to Satan, that feels a little mean, right? right? It feels like, holy smokes, how could God let such devastating things happen to Job just in order to win an argument? Right. Um, but like you're saying, it's so much more. Mm-hmm. And as I thought about it, I thought of Two categories. Number one, it's it's glorifying to God. So that's why everything exists is to bring glory to God. So God does it to glorify himself. Mm. Um, and also, like you were saying, it's really good for God's people. Right. Uh, for for 
hundreds, thousands of years, people have read the book of Job and benefited from it. Yes. Um, God has given it as a gift to his people to help them through suffering, to give them an example, to show them how he relates to suffering. Uh, so, yeah, it's not just to prove a point to Satan. It's so much more. Yeah. And I, I, it's, I'm just excited for more questions because I think of the person behind the question. And I feel the same thing you said of like, oh, yeah, if it was to prove a point to Satan, that would stink. But it's not. It's yeah. so much more than that. And I just, I, I hope that brings comfort to me and I hope it brings comfort to the person that asked yeah. the question. Yeah, definitely. And we'll continue tackling more of that type of question too, as we go through the series. We won't hit them all on this one, yeah. but I think there's lots of this. This is a five-week series for us. We'll be in the book of Job and we'll be tackling lots of these type of questions. All right. Second question for today. Who were the sons of God? Are they like the sons of God in Genesis chapter six? Awesome. Yeah. Um, I would say no. And actually I haven't studied the sons of God in context of Job. I have done some reading on the sons of God in the, in the context of Genesis six. Yeah. And um, just based on that alone, I'd say that they're probably different, but it's hard because I think that we have some pretty crazy ideas of what the Genesis six yeah. sons of gods are. So we could go, many, know, we could, we say, could go tons of directions I, here. I know. I didn't ask you before we started what your perspective yeah. was on this. So, um, I'll, I'll tell you mine, but so the two major perspectives on in Genesis chapter six, there's the story of the sons of God uh, marrying the daughters of men, and then they have children. And the question is, so many people look at that and they say, this is fallen angels who come down and um, right. become wed with daughters of men. And then they have these um, sort of demigod like uh, children. Uh, another sure. view of that, and this, I, I kind of get the sense from you, this is maybe the direction you're going. This is where I'm at. This, I think this is, this is the um, consistent perspective of covenant theology, uh, which is how we look at the Bible. Uh, we see a one big storyline across the Bible. And uh, the, the perspective there is that this is actually a story about the, the sons of Seth versus the sons of Cain going back earlier into Genesis. Is that what you're thinking? Well, the, the, the point that I would want to make is the, text uses a word the nephilim yeah in that context of genesis 6 which i think is poorly translated to giants or maybe just it's mm. misleadingly it, because i don't think that fully encapsulates the what the word is trying to say and I, there's actually like when you look at the hebrew root behind it the word for nephal which is the, one of the root like of the nephilim nephal yeah. it it is trying to get us to think of the word fallen. Like these are fallen people. These are fallen mm. ones. Or I've even heard it said, um, like these are people that cause other people to fall. Mm. So it's kind of like saying these are bad people doing bad things. Mm. They're powerful people, I guess, is is what the sons of God is trying to say in Genesis 6. Sure. Without without going too much in Genesis 6. Well, I think it's, so when you look at – so Genesis 4 and 5, we've got the tracing. So Genesis 4 – so Genesis 3, right, is when the, the fall happens. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. Then yeah. Genesis 4, we got the story of Cain and Abel and everything that happens yeah. after that. And then I think the, the next couple of chapters is the tracing of the line of Seth and the line of Cain. So we've got the line of Cain is – the, the serpent's line, the snake's line, the, the people who are following right. Satan. And then you've got uh, Seth's line, which is the the sons of God, the the followers of God. Um, one of the best examples is in uh, Genesis 4 and 5 when it talks about the seventh on each side. The seventh descendant is Lamech on Cain's side, who talks about him boasting of being a murderer and having more than one wife and stuff like that. And then you got Enoch on Seth's side, who is taken up, who doesn't have to go through death. So he's so godly, he gets mm -hmm. the Lord chooses to call him home. Um, 
So yeah, I think that's the best explanation of Genesis well, 6 point and what's being going on. People. Yeah. Point they're, being, they're, people. they're not yeah. some spiritual, like, right. again, when we when it says the word giant, you think it's some like mystical creep. Well, no, it's like it. these are men yeah. in Genesis 6. Yeah. And then going to Job, we see that same phrase, sons of God. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that necessarily is trying to get us to think of the same thing. Right. I would say they, they're they're almost, I don't, I don't want to say clearly because, but they're almost clearly different things given the context. Yeah. 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 So we're saying, so in Genesis 6, we're saying that um, many people have probably heard of the interpretation that they're fallen angels. We're saying that's probably not, probably the, best not interpretation. the best interpretation so based on the context. Two different things. So in the book of Job, the sons of gods are probably some form of spiritual angelic being that this God is, invites into his presence. Yeah. This is God communicating with heavenly beings. Yeah. And this isn't people. Yeah. 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 Good. And I, well, on that note too, I believe Pastor Ryan made the point that they're not angels as we think of angels. Sure. But if you think of angels as heavenly beings, then yeah. But when we say angels, we're talking about like messengers of God that communicate with people. Mm. But these are, these are heavenly beings that are communicating with God. Mm. He doesn't need it, but he does it. Yeah. And this is the context of Job. Yeah. Um, not angels like the angel Gabriel or something that as we think of angels, but heavenly beings. Yeah. That actually makes me want to jump ahead to a different question that we've got in a different order, but let's jump ahead to it. Here's the question. Does God still have a heavenly council? So you started talking about this idea of uh, the the sons of God or the angels that are in God's presence. Um, Does God still have a heavenly council like that? I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) He doesn't need to. He he doesn't need one now. He never needed one then. If he wants one, he can have one. That's my answer. I don't know if that's an answer you're looking for. Yeah, that's fair. So in the book, right, we get this depiction of um, spiritual beings. In Revelation, we see, don't we see that? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. People in the presence of God talking with God. Yeah. Yeah. So your point is to say that um, God doesn't need them, is I think the first thing you said. And yeah, so God doesn't have to have advisors, right? God is all wise, all knowing. Um, he knows what he's going to do. He doesn't need anybody else's advice. He doesn't need a, a committee meeting to figure it out. You know, God doesn't need a heavenly council. But I think in scripture, we get this picture painted of a heavenly council in order to give us sort of a glimpse into God's thought process, maybe. Right. Um and I think, I mean, it's not, it's, it's showing us a scene from heaven and we get just these short little glimpses in different parts of the Bible and man, you know, it'd be tough for us to figure out, is that like what happens every day? Yeah. Is that just something that happens every once in a while? And we don't know for sure. It happens when God wants it to happen. Yeah. Right. We get a glimpse. So does it still happen that way every day? I don't know. We- well, and I guess biblically, it's a question we don't need an answer to. Sure. It's, I think it's, it's nice to think about as far as it helps us. Um, think more of God and glorify God. But I don't think it's something we need an answer to because it wouldn't change God's promises and God's plan. All right, next question. How did Job come to know God and where is this story in relation to the timeline of Abraham? So timeline question first. Where do you think this? Timeline question first? Yeah. It, I do think it's the, it's, I like the first part more. So let's get the, I want to get to that. <laughs> okay. As far as the Hi. timeline part, yeah. um, I, I, I think that there's nothing in the Bible that would lead us to think is during the time of Abraham. But I believe the consensus throughout church history is that it probably was just mm-hmm. given the things that Job, Job talks, like it talks about Job being wealthy, but it doesn't really talk about his money and gold so much as yeah. his livestock. And right. his, you know, um, I'd say that's some stuff in the Bible, right? It's literary context. Right. We look at what's in the book that sort of 
points to a certain time period. And based on that, we think it's probably around the time of Abraham. Yeah. I, I guess my only point on that is also to say um, it's almost as if Job is intentionally like the, the, the book is trying to hide where it might be because it's not the yeah. point of where it is. Like if it wanted it, if it wanted us to know, if, if God wanted us to know that Job was written during the reign of King Hezekiah, sure. he, he, they would have, you know, sure. it would have said, yeah. but it doesn't. And I don't think that it's trying to answer that question for us. Yeah. 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 So I guess it's, it's good. But go to the but first part of the first question. first part, then. he, it is. What, and remind me what it was so I get it right. <laughs> how did, how did Job come to know God? Right. He, I, I love that question. And I guess my answer is similar of it's. Job is the book of Job isn't trying to answer the question of his origin so much as like point to he he does know God and I think that we all don't have an excuse to whether or not we follow God. Yeah. The, God's creation makes it abundantly clear that this is a purposed world. There's a creator behind it. Yeah. There's a purpose for us, and we should seek it out. And we're not left to figure it out on our own. Um, yeah, and and the, he's not the only character in the Bible, who is a significant character who's outside of Israel, and we have no idea how he knows Job's Yahweh. Well, there's there's Job's friends, but also I was thinking of Melchizedek. Oh, yes. Um, Melchizedek is a major character in the Bible. Read the book of Hebrews and Doesn't try to give figure us, that out. It's kind of hidden about, it just says like the like king of peace, right? Is that yeah. what it is? King yeah. of Salem or king, king of peace, yeah. yeah. And it's almost like, I don't want to say, um, I don't want to use a, a word I, I don't like, but it's almost a veil of like, you don't know where he's from. You yeah. don't have to. But he knows he the knows God of the, the Bible, Lord. and yeah. yeah, and he plays a huge role. Yes, yeah, yeah, and we just don't know all the answers. Yeah, yeah. I I think this kind of will touch on some other stuff that we mentioned too. But one of my yeah. favorite things to say yeah. is the Bible doesn't answer all of our questions; yeah. it answers the most important questions. Sure. The Bible is trying to answer the questions that it intends to answer. Yeah, and Job does that wonderfully, while also intentionally not answering the questions that sometimes we want to ask and want to know, but there's really no way for us to know. Yeah, yeah. All right, next question. And the question was written this way. I know Job had two wives. His second one was Dinah. What is the name of his first wife? All right, so this question was really interesting to me because they um, they sort of assume some stuff that's not in the text. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, I loved, it. I, loved, I, loved, I loved this question, and I love it. Uh, I know Job had two wives. And this is where I just wish I could talk to the person who asked it because I would want to ask, how do you, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. Because the text doesn't say that Job had two wives. Mm-hmm. There are he has his kids, and then um, they die, and then the text and Job ends by saying he has more kids. But it doesn't say whether he remarried, divorced, wife, if his yeah. wife died. It just says that he had more kids. And so I just want to know, like, how do you how do you know that he has two wives? And also, right. how do you know that his wife's name was Dina? Dina or Dinah. Dinah? Yeah. yeah the second because one. I, I also don't think I I also don't think the Bible says right. that name. Correct. It doesn't. So I just want to know where this the questioner yeah, yeah. is is well, coming from. So let's talk about that. So so first of all, in the book, you could you could be led to think that um there's the point he, well, we're gonna find out in the next He in very the next well section. could have had two wives. Yeah. He, well, he you could find have. out that his his wife uh, says to him, um, curse God and die. Yeah. And so we could look at that and we could say, well, you know, their marriage might not have made it at that <laughs> moment. <laughs> I think that would be a reasonable thing to think. Right. Um, so that's possible. And maybe, you know, he has, a, he has a, another wife later. But I think probably the real place this is coming from is that this is actually a Jewish myth. This is this comes from apocryphal yes. writings, writings outside of the Bible, yes. um, which we don't know uh, if they were true or not right. true. Well, we, there's parts of them that we know are not 
true. You know, it's not in the Bible. So you're saying all of the Jewish thought on the Bible, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. writings outside of the Bible. Some of that's right, some of that's wrong. Right. And if it contradicts scripture, it's wrong. But this is an example of something that, oh, that's a neat thought, but there's no way to know whether or not it's true. Right. This is Jewish Jewish mythology. Some some guys outside of the Bible um, have written about Job having two wives, one of them being named Dinah. Um, Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Right. So that's kind of where we're at. We we don't know if that's true. And so they're asking the question, do we know Job's first wife's name? Eh, We don't. It's not in the Bible. So I don't know what it was. All right. Next question. How can we say God is good if he allows Satan to hurt us? That is a great question. And I'd say that's actually probably the question of the Job series. And actually, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to answer it in full right, right here, right now, because this is a five-part oh, series. And so we're uh, we're going to come back to this. The series will continue and that's right. it'll be continued to flesh. Yeah. This question will be answered. We will tackle this, but we're going to do it over the next five weeks. This is only the first week of Job, and so we don't want to. Spoil all that right away. I mean, and I want to go straight to Job 38 and think about how God responds when yeah. Job asks a similar question yeah. to God and accuses him. Yeah. And I just, I mean, and we could go even more places than that. And it is such a big question and has a lot of, we could say a lot about it. But sure. I, I guess the best thing to say is just stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Stay tuned. It's coming. All right. Last question for today. How is Satan able to be in God's presence? We see in scripture that God is holy and cannot be around sin. For example, Uzzah, when he touches the Ark of the Covenant, uh, or the priest going into the holiest, Holy of Holies. So how can yeah. Satan, God's enemy, be in God's presence and survive? I think it's actually, this is a great point to just give the gospel. Mm. We're all enemies of God. Mm. We're all sinful. Yeah. and. And in a sense, we're all in the presence of God by being in his creation because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And mm-hmm. so in a sense, he needs to give an answer to that sin that we have. Before we even mm-hmm. look at how could Satan, how could we? We're in God's creation mm-hmm. and yet we're sinful. And I think the promise of God is I will answer that sin. And I, and he, he, he isn't going to let Satan's sin be unanswered. Yeah. So I don't think it this I, I guess that's where my mind goes is yeah. is he is he is going to answer the sin of Satan just like he's going to answer have an answer for our sin and that's judgment and the beautiful thing about Jesus is that we can we don't have to go to hell along with our sin. We don't mm. have to be damned along with our sin. We can actually give our sin to Jesus and let him nail to the cross yeah. while we walk in freedom. Yeah. Amen. That that's where my answer goes. Amen. That's where my head goes. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for preaching the gospel to us. Absolutely. Right. Amen. Um well, that's it. Like you, like you said, it's not an injustice because sin doesn't go unpunished. Right. Satan's day is coming. Right. Uh, scripture is very clear that Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. Satan is going to suffer himself in hell uh, for his evil, his wickedness. That is coming. So God doesn't leave sin unpunished. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, God permits this to happen. God permits Satan into his presence and doesn't consume him with fire instantly. And again, it's for our sake and the sake of his glory. Yeah. Yeah. That he does it. Yeah. Partly in, so that we can have this story yeah. that encourages Christians throughout the ages. Yeah. yeah. It's a great question. And I thought of it too, as I was, as I was reading the text. Yeah. Cause we've got all these examples in the Bible of people who come into God's presence who are sinful, who are consumed. Maybe too, part of it is the difference yeah. between angelic beings and human beings. Now, again, both of us deserve the consequences yeah. of our sin or evil. Both of us will be judged. It's not that one will go unjudged. Maybe there's a difference there um, in just how God deals right. with that. Yeah. But good question. Great questions, everybody. 
Great answers, Logan. Thanks, brother. Thanks for the conversation. Absolutely. Good stuff. Everybody, you can join us on YouTube, Facebook, or on the podcast to hear this each week. Thanks, everybody. Have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to That's a Good Question. If you want to discover more resources from Peace Church, head to our website at peacechurch.cc. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. It helps us get more gospel-centered, family-focused, and kingdom-minded resources to more people. You can find That's a Good Question at resoundmedia.cc or wherever you listen to podcasts.